So the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is exists because he made it. Even the evil in our world is a twisting or a corruption of some good thing which God made and could not exist on its own. Take away the good thing and evil will cease to be. God created it all. But God is not, as some people have claimed, a kind of clockmaker God. He's not like a person who makes a clock and winds it up and sets it on a shelf and then thinks his job is done. God did not merely create the universe and set it into motion and then walk away. The Bible tells us instead that he sustains it, he keeps it running by the power of his word, that very word by which he created it. And yet God's activity goes beyond merely sustaining the universe uh, so that it keeps running, keeps on existing. God is actively at work in it to accomplish his will. Jesus told the people of his day that he himself was working and that the Father was still at work too and had been since the creation. God is moving in our world even today. And yet he still hasn't said quite enough uh, uh, when we said that, uh, until we understand just how personal God's work really is. See, our God is not like a CEO, CEO of a mega corporation who makes decisions and keeps the concern running, doing his job so the company makes a profit without really knowing the people that work, uh, work there. Our God is indeed a great king, and there is no doubt that he rules the entire universe, but he is also a shepherd caring for his lambs. He's a father loving and needing his children. Jesus communicated this truth by telling us that never had a simple sparrow died without God knowing it, and even the hairs on our heads are numbered. The Old Testament tells us that God knit us together in the womb, and he did that for each one of us, and he knows us inside and out, and he is always with us wherever we are, whatever our circumstances happen to be. And not only does he know us, not only is he with us, but if we belong to him, he guides us and orders our steps. Even when we go astray, he doesn't let go of us. He does what's needful to get us back where we belong. Our God is personal. He's intimate. He's closer than the air we breathe. And when Christ hung on that cross, you were in his mind and in his heart. If you had been the only person who had ever sinned, Jesus would have still gone to the cross for you. And those things, those ideas, those truths help us to understand that God is so much bigger and better than anything that we could imagine. And try as we might, we can never put him in a box. He just doesn't fit. He's alive and he has a will and a purpose all his own, uh, which since he's good is always itself good. It's, it's to our benefit forever and always to seek his will so that we can get on board with what he's doing in our life and in the world around us. And here's the thing. Our God is unstoppable. Nothing can stand in his way. 
And today we're going to look at one of those times when God was working in our world in miraculous ways. And we read about such things. And, and we often wonder, why isn't God moving like that in our times? Or we're busy explaining uh, why he isn't. Or, or maybe we wonder, what could we do or not do or stop doing so that he would work that way in our day? And the answer, of course, is that God is, is accomplishing his purposes whenever he does that. He's not satisfying our curiosity or doing the things the way we think they should be done. He is far greater and wiser than we are. But it is also just as true to say that God could begin at any time moving in such ways in our time and our place. And the text that we're considering today that, that tells us about such powerful workings of God comes again from the book of Acts, chapter 5, where we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. And I invite you to join me there in your Bible so you can follow along as the verses are displayed on the screen. And uh, verse 12 tells us two things which kind of set the stage for what follows. So we read, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Now we've seen that before in Acts, and we're going to come back to it in a moment. But first, we're also told uh, and all the believers used to meet in Solomon's colonnade. Uh, colonnade. Now, what makes that second statement significant is, and if you'll remember, that's where Peter and John had recently been arrested there in Solomon's colonnade for teaching about uh, Jesus. And, and they were commanded by the religious leaders, which was pretty much also the civil authority in that day, not to talk about Jesus anymore. But here they are again. They're doing that very thing. And there wasn't even a break in their activity. And in conjunction with their courage, God himself uh, was obviously still at work alongside of his people doing miraculous things. And again, we, we might ask, is, uh, are those two things related? Were miracles happening because the apostles were create, courageously proclaiming the gospel. <coughs> well, maybe. Maybe at least in part they were. But we can't ever forget that it was God at work in his people which gave them the me the, their message and gave them their courage to begin with. And maybe it would be good for us. I think it would be good for us just to take a little bit of time right now and ask the whys of such things. I mean, many of us see God moving today in wonderful ways. I've seen people, God moving in people's personal lives. He's done it in mine. Uh, but it's on a smaller scale. It, it's in a more personal way. It's not like it is in Acts that we read about such a large way. And yet such things have broken out uh, from time to time throughout church history. There, and there are reliable and documented reports of things like that happening today in the world around us in different places. And we noted before that on the whole, those such things are rare. So why is that? Why, why are those miraculous things that happen in the book of Acts and at other times that are happening in some places in India and in the Middle East and places like that, why aren't they happening all the time? 
And part of the answer is that sometimes those things are present when there's a kind of need to establish the word. So the apostles were the foundation of the church and their authority needed to be established. So signs and wonders accompanied them because of that. And Paul makes that very argument in Corinthians. And it was often, but not always, the case with the prophets of the Old Testament to validate their ministry, and even in the case of Jesus, to validate his identity. And, and it also may be, and it seems to be the case, uh, when we see things happening in other places in our world today, uh, when we see it happening in the church through time, that such things accompany the world in places in our world where they have no real history in the Bible. Does that make sense to you? That the places where they don't know this book, that maybe God would act in, act in miraculous ways to kind of, kind of say this is true, pay attention to it. Signs and wonders are sometimes just used to validate the word or work of God. And then too, maybe miracles sometimes not always come in times of persecution, which is what's happening here as we read about the things that are happening in Acts. The early church was already experiencing it. They're going to experience more of it. And when that happens, those miracles kind of serve as a counterbalance to the power of governments and other authorities. And that's happening here in Jerusalem back then. But it also may be true that if signs and wonders were always present, wouldn't their effectiveness be diminished by the common side? Besides, the truth is we have something more potent than miracles and signs and wonders. We've got the Word of God. And I have one last comment I'm going to make on this, and then we're going to move on. All of that I just said I think is true. But I also wouldn't deny that our own faith or lack of it likely plays a part in that. You know, the name and claim it people out there, you know, all you have to do is name and claim it, and God's going to do somewhere for anybody. I think they miss the point. They miss it completely. God is not at our beck and call. But why should we ever expect that we would see a miracle if we don't even believe that they can happen? I mean, after all, even Jesus could not do many miracles in his hometown because of the lack of faith. Now, faith means trusting God to do whatever God will do, whatever the right and best, and it means seeking as well. And so, you know, I know people who, who um, have serious diseases that are going to take their life. And I pray for healing them. My cousin is paraplegic. I continue to pray for complete healing for him. And I think it's right that we do that kind of thing, all the while knowing that God has his own plan, and so we just trust him. Is that too much to do? Is it too much to ask? Any and all of those things, the more besides can explain why we sometimes see signs and wonders and also what we don't. But God doesn't need to give us any reason at all. He's not under no obligation to do so. He acts according to his own will and under his own advisement. What's clear here in this passage is that God was at work in our world, encouraging his people and doing miracles, and he was moving in other ways too, as we see as we read on. The apostles are teaching God's people in the very place 
where they were rested in spite of the command to cease. And everybody in Jerusalem knew these things. And verse 13 kind of gives us a flavor of what it was like to be alive in Jerusalem at that time when the apostles and the Christians were meeting in Solomon's colonnade. And this is what we read. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. You see, everyone is looking at them, and they're amazed at their courage, and they're amazed by the things that were going on. Even their teaching had power like Jesus' teaching did. But those still on the outside were afraid with a, with a fear inspired maybe in part by the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which we looked at last time, but also by the power of the signs and wonders and the changed lives and followers of Jesus and the willingness to, to risk everything to proclaim him. It must have been kind of like that desire that many people have um, to be close a wild and dangerous animal like a lion, right? Close, but not too close, right? You, you want to see it. You want to be as near as possible to it, but you want to wave a stick in case it comes after you. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but there are these kind of safaris in the Arctic where, where you can go out and you can look at polar bears, right? And it's kind of like this, I don't know, big bus or something. It's really built high off the ground. And there's an enclosed part, but then it has a porch light on the back and you can go out. And it's built high enough that the polar bears can kind of stand up and get there, but they can't get at you. And you're really, really, really close, right? Well, that's probably what was happening. With, uh, with those people there. They, 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 they were outside. They wanted to be close, not too close. God's work. And in spite of their caution, many were drawn in, as verse 14 tells us. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Some of those who were close but not too close, they got caught and they were drawn in. And it wasn't just the miracles by themselves. Because you know what? They were happening and happening all around, but signs and wonders can only inspire a sense of awe and wonder or fear. It was the preaching of the word, the telling of the gospel that gave those signs and wonders their meaning. That is what brought the outsiders in. And in spite of the tension of the situation, the gospel continued to be proclaimed and people continued to be saved and the number of believers continued to grow. And that's the point that Luke is making here. It, not just that people were coming to Jesus, but they did so nevertheless in spite of all the obstacles. Something unstoppable was happening there. The Greek word in the NIV translates as nevertheless means even to a greater degree, surpassing what has been. People were coming to Christ, though there was a risk involved in doing so. And the Greek emphasizes the great number of people who were following him. And it reads this way, multitudes of both men and women were becoming Christians. And just kept growing. Verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. And then beyond the city proper, verse 16 tells us, 
crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those who were tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Who wasn't bringing those sick people into the streets? Was it the new believers? Or maybe other people who weren't yet believers, but who knew something was happening? Well, probably it was both kinds of people, and all believers too, right? Because God was at work. Saving people. And none of that was happening in a corner. And what's this thing about Peter's shadow? That God even used that to bring healing to people. You see, God was moving in a powerful way in those days. If the religious leaders had thought they had got rid of a problem when they crucified Jesus, they were completely mistaken. Not only had he risen from the dead, as he said he would, and all Jerusalem knew that tomb was empty. The religious leaders couldn't produce a body. But now his disciples were doing the same kinds of things, and even more, even greater things, as Jesus said his disciples would do. And they were all doing that right in the middle of Jerusalem in the very heart of the nation. And the impact was phenomenal. Everyone was looking up to the Christian. More people were coming to the faith. Multitudes of them. People were laid in the streets and they came from the nearby towns and they were all being healed right under the noses of the religious leaders, which brings us to verse 17. And then the high priest and his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They saw what was happening, and the predominant emotion of their hearts was jealousy. I mean, not even anger at having their orders disobeyed, but pure and simple envy of covetousness. Now, jealousy is a really ugly thing in a simple human being. I mean, God can be jealous and pure without contradiction. Maybe sometimes, sometimes we can too. But this was a foul thing. They were filled with it, overflowing with jealousy, which choked out any light, any reason within them. They were jealous of the size of the crowds. They were jealous of how people were going after the apostles, looking up to them, listening to them. Jealous because their place at the head of society was threatened, and they acted on it as far as they could in verse 18. They arrested the apostles and put them into the public jail. In a jealous fit, they arrested and jailed the apostles. They couldn't arrest everybody. There were far too many of them. So in their minds, they arrested the leaders. They gathered them up, and they were going to cut the head off of the movement and put it into it. And that's no doubt that that's what their intention was. And right then, they thought that they had the disciples right where they wanted them. They would deal with them that next day when the court and all of the Sanhedrin could be gathered. They thought something pretty much like that when they nailed Jesus to the cross, didn't they? But, God. But, God. God had already laid his plans, and they were unstoppable. The religious leaders couldn't be rid of the apostles so easily. So verses 19 through 25. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. 
You know, we don't know exactly how that happened. The guards in the prison were utterly aware of anything going on at all. There was no noise or commotion. There were no crowds of onlookers, no earthquake, no display of power in any kind. Just an angel who opened the doors and let them out. There's another uh, thing like that in the scriptures, almost just like it uh, here in the book of Acts later on, when, when Peter was set free from prison the very night before he was to be executed. And at that time, too, the guards didn't know what was going on. They were clueless until it was all over. You know, most of the time when prisoners uh, make a break, they run for a temple. That's what Peter did in that episode I told you about later on. Um, but not this time. This time the prisoners didn't run. Peter and the others stood their ground because they were told to stay their ground. God was not finished with them yet. The apostles were told to go right back in the temple area and start preaching again. Verses 20 and 21. Go stand at the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And at daybreak they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. They did what the angel commanded them to do, and obedience to what was said. They go back into the temple's court, back almost certainly to Solomon's colonnade. The very next day, they go back as the Sanhedrin was gathering for their trial. They go back and begin teaching the people about the resurrection again. Unstoppable. All of the secular and religious power of Jerusalem could not stop the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prison doors couldn't stop it. Jealousy and rage of the powers that be couldn't stop it. Not the threats, not the jail, not intimidation, not even the chance to escape. All of that could stop the preaching of God's word. None of that, none of that could even slow it down. That's our text today. Pretty amazing stuff. So we need to ask, what can we take away from it? How does it matter to us today? What difference does it make in our life? Well, one for one thing, um, we need to understand, we need to see, we need to, to get the idea that God was at work and that he is unstoppable. That's what this passage is telling us. That's the first thing it's telling us. It makes a point of demonstrating that truth. But there's more here because his people also were at work. They had both the courage and the love to keep on preaching the gospel in spite of the danger. And as we know, there is real power in the Word of God. Power to change lives, to change the course of history, to alter eternity itself. But no one can hear if we're not talking, if we're not telling. The people of God were doing just that. When the people of God are doing that, the work of God is unstoppable. And then finally, there were the miracles. They were happening, but as wonderful as they are, of the three of those things, this one is the least important. Miracles can serve only a limited purpose in limited times in the history of the world. The Word of God can work anywhere at any time in great power. 
So in all those three things, we can say this. God is at work in our world today. He's at work today. He's unstoppable. And when it comes to miracles, we have no control over that. Though we ought to be open to them happening. God alone determines their use. Uh, they may or may not be part of our times. So God's at work. That's a given. Miracles may or may not happen. And that brings us to us. The only thing we have any real control over, we have his word. There's power in that word. A power that is just waiting to be unleashed. When God's people find love and courage to proclaim it. Which brings me to this really last important truth that I pin in that. And that is, is that God is indeed unstoppable. But he has so designed our world that we are a necessary part of his work. And I think that's pretty shocking uh, when you think about it. The old preachers put it this way. Without God, he can't. Without us, he won't. That text, I think, challenges us today. The question for us here is, um, will we show up? Whether there are any miracles happening anywhere around us or not. God's work, will we show up? Let me ask you a little bit. Will you show up? When God's people proclaim God's word, God's work is unstoppable. And our world needs us. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for our faithfulness and goodness to us. Thank you for a chance to just see what you did back then and how it mattered to us in our life. And Lord, we just want to be open to whatever you do in our life, but we want to be faithful to preach your word and to join you in your work in this world, the world that your son died for, the world that you love, world that Jesus bore on that cross as he took our sins away. Help us please. In Jesus' name.